Good morning, and welcome to Access Utah. I'm Friend Weller, and things are just a little unusual this morning for Access Utah. Uh, first of all, with the extreme weather that we've had the last couple of days, or, uh, you know, in the last, I uh, should say, 24 hours, uh, Tom Williams and company, they're uh, not quite here yet, and uh, we're expecting Tom Williams, Carrie Bringhurst, uh, all the UPR interns there on the way right now, and uh, for that matter, we're still waiting for a couple of our guests to arrive, but welcome to Access Utah this morning. Uh, on the uh, agenda, we've got uh, Governor Gary Herbert. We'll be uh, speaking with him first off as, as soon as uh, the governor has arrived. Uh, we'll be speaking this morning about budget priorities, something that, of course, is uh, top on everybody's mind. Uh, also, health care in the state, uh, the Medicaid expansion, Utah's health exchange is something else that we'll be asking the, the governor about uh, this morning and uh, how that uh, ties in with uh, uh, what's become known as Obamacare. Uh, ethics uh, reform proposal, something that the governor has put forward, and we are, uh, uh, we'll be talking about that as well in, in addition to land use and uh, uh, the governor's outdoor recreation plan. Uh, immigration issues, immigration reform. Those are things that uh, are uh, also uh, top priorities, and uh, they'll be addressed this morning in this morning's program, as well as during this legislative session. Uh, gun control, another uh, topic that has come to the uh, forefront here in uh, in uh, just since the uh, shooting back east, and so there'll, uh, there'll be some discussion on that as well, I'm sure. Uh, and then House Bill 116, should there be a delay in that? That's something that uh, has been... Uh, mentioned and, and, and put forward. We'll also be speaking with State Senators Okerlund and Davis. They'll be uh, speaking to us as well as uh, representatives uh, from the House. They'll be joining us this morning as well, in addition to uh, an episode of Wild About Utah. And I'm being told uh, by the governor's aides about two minutes. So what I think we're going to have to do this morning, just in order to accommodate uh, uh, things to make sure everything goes smoothly, uh, we'll take a, a real brief break. Uh, let's listen to that uh, episode of Wild About Utah. And then as soon as uh, uh, the governor is here, we will uh, be back. We'll be talking with Governor Gary Herbert this morning on Access Utah. Welcome to Wild About Utah, a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. Hi, this is Mark Larez Casanova from the Utah Master Naturalist Program at Utah State University Extension. The cold depth of winter is a time when many animals are hiding, either hibernating until the thaw of spring, or finding shelter and warmth in burrows, under logs, or in the tangled branches of evergreen trees. However, snow falls in much of Utah, and even a dusting can reveal the stories of wildlife in winter. It's a bit like solving a mystery. By reading the clues of animal tracks, we can not only know the type of animal that made them, but also where they were going and what they were doing. The most obvious clue is the size of a track. Smaller animals make smaller tracks, and also sets of tracks that are generally closer together. The shape of an animal track is also very revealing. Members of the canine family, including domestic dogs, coyotes, and fox, show four toes in front, each with a visible claw. Felines, including bobcats and mountain lions, also show four toes, but no claws. Tracks from members of the weasel family, such as mink, ermine, and skunk, show five toes, each with a claw. 
Raccoon, squirrel, and mouse tracks almost look like they were made by tiny human hands. The long tails of some animals, including deer mice, jumping mice, and weasels, often leave a characteristic line through the center of a set of tracks. Combining the size and shape of tracks reveals further details about wildlife. The three-inch-long cloven hoof print of a mule deer is easily recognizable. An elk track looks almost identical, but is about four inches long. A similar moose track is even larger at six inches long. Figuring out which animal made a track is only half of the story. If we follow tracks, we'll surely find clues about an animal's daily life. Wildlife often gather around sources of water that aren't frozen, which are critical to winter survival. Perhaps rabbit tracks lead under a spruce tree, where browsed branches and droppings indicate a frequent feeding spot. Maybe mouse tracks lead from tree to rock to log as it avoids owls and hawks. While we are much more likely to see wildlife during the warmer months, winter gives us a chance to unravel the story of daily survival during the most difficult time of the year in Utah. For Wild About Utah, I'm Mark Larez Casanova. Wild About Utah is a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. For transcripts and archived audio of Wild About Utah, go online to upr.org and click on the Wild About Utah link. Support for Wild About Utah on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Quinney College of Natural Resources at Utah State University, where students and faculty promote the sustainability of ecosystems and the communities that depend on them. Information at cnr.usu.edu. All righty. Well, good morning and welcome to Access Utah. I'm Fred Weller, and we're at the state capitol for the opening day of the 2013 legislative session. And joining me this morning is Governor Gary Herbert. It's an honor to uh, talk to you this morning, Governor. Well, good morning. It's an honor to be here with you. Well, thank you very much for for, uh, taking time out of your schedule. I know today is quite busy and... So we'll just uh, let's just kind of dive into things. Of course, uh, something interesting. Well, first of all, the weather, that's kind of a nutso <laughs> thing today. And it's kind of a repeat of what happened uh, four years ago when everything kind of went ape overnight and uh, we were all scrambling the next morning. And that happened to be the first time that Utah Public Radio had an opportunity. We, we broadcast directly from the governor's office that morning just because of scheduling uh, issues and, and the weather and, and so on. But uh a lot of snow out there. I think we're all glad for that. It's uh, good for our ski industry and uh, good for our water uh, levels that we need to have for next spring and summer. And so it's all good. I'm I'm feeling very good about uh, the snowstorm, actually. We'd like to congratulate you as well on your excellent performance during the inauguration. Oh. <laughs> uh, we were we were uh, covering, of course, the inaugural, uh, inaugural broadcast, and you came out on the Capitol steps, and we heard the cannons firing, and then there was that little bit of a pause before the helicopter showed up, and you made a few comments. Uh, Here they are, and and it was you, you made for some great radio that morning. <laughs> well, I think the timing was just a little bit off, and. Uh, 
it was nice to have the helicopters fly over, but they should have been there just uh, about a 30 seconds sooner. But uh, it was hard to coordinate that. I'm sure the military did a great job overall, and it's not easy to do. And Actually, inaugural is under the auspices of the Utah National Guard. They're the ones that make the inaugural happen. And so it's an honor to be their commander-in-chief and to see that uh, it was an inspiring sight and impressive to have those helicopters fly over in the 19-gun salute. Oh, that was that was way impressive. We were watching the video feed on that, and it's like, wow, there's a lot of power there. Yeah. <laughs> good good to be on the delivering end of that rather than <laughs> on the receiving end. Uh, let's talk about uh, the, the uh, legislative session. Uh, lots of different things. I mean, there always is every year, but uh, this year things seem to be kind of at a fever pitch at times uh, with you know things that have happened nationally as well as around the state. But why don't we start off with budget priorities? Where do we stand? The state does have a, a budget surplus. Uh, how does that figure into things? Where's well, it all going? Uh, that's the number one question is where is it going? Uh, there is some uncertainty there caused because of Washington, D.C., which is unfortunate. Uh, Utah has been very good over the last few years of making sure that we made tough decisions. We balance our budgets. We don't spend more than we take in. We don't have unnecessary debt. We save for a rainy day. We do all the things that uh, households do, that businesses have to do, and things we wish Washington, D.C. would do. And because they have not, uh, we have fiscal cliff problems. We have uh, the question about where they're going to have to have spending cuts, tax increases, and that creates some uncertainty in the marketplace. That being said, Utah is doing very well, certainly in comparison to other states. And we will have a surplus of money, some growth money which will take place. The question is going to be maybe how much. Uh, we'll have uh, numbers that will be given to us at the end of February, and that'll be probably what the legislature will be forced to, at least at that time, close the budget on. Whether we have to come back at another time, as uh, Congress in Washington has unfinished business to do that will impact us, remains to be seen. And I think we ought to be careful about talking about what we will or won't do until we see what happens in Washington. That being said, we will have growth money. Our number one budget priority should be and will be, in my view, education. Uh, We have significant challenges there, uh, but uh, a challenge that we need to meet. And uh, to me, it, it impacts our economy and how we'll be able to grow the economy going forward. So this is really a critical issue for, I think, the people of Utah this year to make sure that education is the number one funding priority by the legislature. Uh, moving on to uh, health care, another topic that seems to be uh, on the top of many folks' mind. Uh, I know my mother is, is concerned about things. She's 82. She still works full-time mm-hmm. uh, in order to be able to maintain insurance and be able to take care of you know things like the house and the yard and stuff like that, uh, but especially for our senior citizens. Uh, and then you know the Medicaid expansion. How, how is that? Mm-hmm. What sort of things uh, have you got in mind as, as we move into this legislative <laughs> session? Well, the good news for us is that Utah has the lowest cost health care and about the fifth or sixth rated best quality health care in the nation. And our ratio is by far the best, low cost to high quality. And we have a fewer number of our people that, in fact, are without health care than the national average. So all things considered, we're in pretty good shape. Uh, The challenge for us is now that the Affordable Care Act, uh, often referred to as Obamacare, is the law of the land, how does that impact our own ability to provide uh, good quality, low-cost health care in Utah? And what's it going to do to our budget? And so the analysis we're making right now is one of uh, the significant in the cost, for example, for Medicaid expansion. 
We have a Medicaid program. There's an opportunity to expand the Medicaid, but the question is, can we afford it? It is disingenuous for those who are encouraging us to expand it by saying, well, it's free money. It's the federal government's going to pay for it. But that's part of our problem. The federal government right now is borrowing 40 cents out of every dollar they spend. We have a $16.4 trillion debt right now, and that money obligation is being passed on to our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. So that's, uh, again, part of the challenge we have as far as, uh, you know, can we do more with less? I've met with President uh, Obama and Vice President Biden and others back in Washington, and we've suggested that states can do more with less, give us more flexibility. So we're hopeful that that's going to happen. That goes along with our state exchange. We started uh, state exchanges here way before President Obama was ever elected, and uh, it's a good concept of free market principles and competition and individual responsibility. We'd like to maintain our state exchange. Whether the federal government will allow us to do that remains to be seen. I'll be going back to Washington here in a few weeks and talk to Secretary Sebelius personally about seeing if we can maintain our own state exchange. Now, perhaps something that's uh, a little more, uh, at least it sounds a little bit more lighthearted, your outdoor rec plan, uh, part of land use. uh, What what are you envisioning there? Well, my focus, as everybody knows, has been on growing the economy. Uh, I came in at a time when the economy was really in the uh, uh, difficult straits, uh, the worst economic time since the Great Depression. And so my focus has been laser-like on what can we do to grow the economy and create jobs. And that's worked uh, with the cooperation and help of the legislature and the business community. We've empowered the private sector to, to, to grow. We have a very fertile environment. But part of that effort, is uh, our sector, is outdoor recreation. We've never had a plan of how we deal with our outdoor recreation. We have an overall economic development plan. We have an energy plan. We have a number of things we're doing for education that we're planning and putting into place. But we've never had an outdoor recreation vision, so we've created one with the help of all the stakeholders, and uh, that's being introduced now and uh, I think gives us a pathway forward of how we can optimize use of our public lands, which includes not only uh, industrial development, natural resource, and energy, but, in fact, our outdoor recreation in all of its forms. And that can be backpacking, fishing, hiking, uh, hunting. Uh, It can be uh, four-wheeling. Uh, Jeep safaris, it can be outdoor golf and barbecue. Uh, but everybody has, I think, a, a, a pet outdoor recreation theme, and we're going to try to capitalize on all of those as we have a plan going forward where we can, in fact, optimize our opportunities for outdoor recreation. I'll be looking forward to that because I know, enjoy uh, maybe not on a It's about a $5.8 billion industry in our state, yeah. and I think we have the potential to even grow it more. And uh, I believe, you know, the, the, the question's always been, can we develop our energy resources and still have outdoor recreation? And the answer is absolutely, positively we can do it. They're not mutually exclusive ideas of outdoor recreation and development of our natural resources. And particularly with new technologies, uh, we can do them and more uh, access our energy in more environmentally sensitive ways. And uh, we're going to have a plan going forward that's going to be the proverbial win-win. Great. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to a warmer day for a little outdoor recreation. <laughs> well, for a lot of people who are looking for cold days to yeah, go I know, skiing, skiing and snowboarding and uh, oh. have those opportunities for backcountry uh, hiking and skiing. And so uh, it's all good. Again, it we're, we're outdoor recreation 365 days of the year. 
Now, ethics reform. I know that there's a proposal being put forward on that. Um, what's, uh, what, what details do you have to offer us? Well, I applaud the legislature. They've been involved in ethics reform, and they've made some significant modifications and improvements over the last number of years. We've had four or five different bills that have come forward. We have an ethics commission for the legislature, so people that have concerns and complaints can lodge them. They can be vetted, and they can see if there's any merit to the complaint. Um, in light of what's happened with the Attorney General, it's kind of been put on the front burner, uh, burner again. And uh, although we have already uh, in the governor's office uh, by contract, have uh, 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 when we hire people, you have to give up any outside work. That's not been the case with the Attorney General's office. And so we're encouraging the legislature, and I know that there are some bills ready to be introduced. Uh, Senator uh, Todd Weider is going to introduce a bill that we've been working with him on to prohibit uh, people in the Attorney General's office from having outside employment while they're employed in the AG's office. Uh, so I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good idea to have an uh, uh, ethics commission where people can vet and, and lodge complaints uh, against the executive branch if there's something they see that's untoward. Again, have an opportunity for it to be vetted and sifted and find out if there's any merit to it. So I think as we go forward, this is an opportunity uh, to, uh, in fact, improve our ethics here in this upcoming legislative session. I expect something like that will happen. Now, um, gun control. This is a real, I, I don't know, I've been watching, I've got friends of mine from all over the nation, uh, some in other corners of the world, and they, everyone seems to have an opinion on gun control, especially after the situation uh, mm -hmm. back east here so recently. But, you know, the increased number of gun crimes, uh, especially large, cr uh, large events yeah. like what we're seeing. Uh, what uh, is in mind uh, as far as the legislative session uh, involving gun control this well, time around? Well, I think the nation's conscience was uh, shaken when we saw, the, again, the, the shooting in Connecticut, and we had one of our own uh, from Utah that was a part of that uh, casualty list. Uh, I'm a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. I, I think it's important that we have the right to bear arms. But this is a time when people need to take a step back and uh, bite their tongue and count to ten, and let's have a methodical review of the laws we have on the books. I think the laws we have in Utah right now are actually pretty good. And we just need to enforce the current uh, laws. And I think if we do that, everything will be fine. That being said, we need to look at background checks, making sure that the people who shouldn't have guns, which are those who are mentally unstable, those who are criminals, and I don't care whether it's an AK-47 or a, a 22 uh, caliber handgun, those people should not have access to guns. I, I think we need to look for early intervention and help with those who have mental health issues. But more importantly than anything, I think it's time for us to, to take an introspective look at ourselves and say, why do we have this culture of violence here in America? And I think that goes to Hollywood. I applaud Robert Redford in the, uh, here a week or so ago when he talked about his own industry needing to take a look at some of the violence they put, gratuitous and graphic, in their movies. Um, I think these virtual reality games that a lot of our young people uh, participate in, and uh, again, the young mind, I mean, they're put in a situation where it is virtual reality, and they are the shooter, and they get points for killing people, and the graphic violence of blowing people's heads off and blood and gore that they see on the screen is, is, is very realistic, and I think it desensitizes us and uh, makes it seem like life is cheap. So we need to take a look at that culture, 
and see if we can change ourselves within. A lot of this stuff is all outward, uh, you know, external, trying pressures with laws and regulations. We ought to see if we can change our mindset and uh, abhor this kind of violence. And uh, I think that would do a, a lot more towards curing the violence than anything else we could do. Well, that's thing. I know, I know a lot of my uh, adult friends have said, I'm tired of my kids saying, well, they're just killing zombies. And yeah. it's like, uh, well, the zombies seem to be walking on two legs, you know, and it's there, there's like you said, we need to reanalyze, rethink, take a look at what's going on rather than just an off the cuff. You know, well, we're going to ban everything or we're going to ban just this, that or the other. There's air. There's these virtual reality video games, which are eerily similar to the shootings we see in movie theaters, in schools, in shopping malls, where people just grab their guns and just walk down the aisle indiscriminately shooting at people. That's very similar to some of these virtual reality video games. So again, we need to think in terms of what is it that's causing us to have this kind of willingness to go out and shoot people. And I think the media has a responsibility to help us solve that problem. Thank you very much. Uh, Governor, it's, uh, I know you've got a very busy schedule today, so we're right on time. We want to keep you where you need to be. Well, thank and, you. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure to have you on uh, Utah Public Radio this well, morning. It's my pleasure, and let me just conclude by saying there's reason to be very optimistic in Utah. We are doing things better than most uh, any other place in America. We're more efficient as a state government. Our economy is growing at nearly two and a half times the national average. Our unemployment rate is dropping. Our education is getting better. Uh, we're having plans going forward on our public lands of how we can optimize that. Uh, there is just reason to be very optimistic, and I can tell you that this governor has never been more optimistic about the future of Utah than I am today. Well, thank you very much, and congratulations on your reelection. This is it, it's it's a good thing I think for Utah. We're, we're we live in a pretty great state. Well, it, that's for sure. Thank you very much, friend. Good to be with you. Thank you. We'll be back with more of Access Utah live from the opening day of the legislature here at the Utah State Capitol in just a minute. Did you know that of every 1,000 babies born in the United States, three will have hearing loss? Early identification and management is important for speech and language development. Amplification as well as speech and language treatment can start in the first weeks of life. Did You Know That is made possible by the USU Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services. More at cehs.usu.edu. On this week's broadcast, we celebrate a brand new album by a wonderful band called The Little Willies, and you know the lead singer, it's Nora Jones. It's great music and wonderful conversation on this week's broadcast of the Wood Sounds Old Time Radio. Friday at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the USU Credit Union, serving members with 24 local ATMs and more than 30,000 ATM access points across Utah and the U.S. through the Credit Union Co-op Network. Information is at usuccu.org. Support also comes from your local office of AARP Utah, a nonpartisan organization helping people 50 and over improve their lives through its advocacy for health care reform, social security, and consumer protection in Utah. Information is at aarp.org slash UT. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. 
and uh, Tom Williams jumping in now. Uh, thanks, uh, friend Weller, for uh, for taking care of the first part of the program. Uh, the weather, the traffic, uh, but uh, but I'm here and uh, happy to be. So we're coming to you from uh, the state capitol, state treasurer's uh, conference room. Uh, and getting ready for the opening of the legislative session, which uh, comes about about 45 minutes from now. So we uh, bring in Senate leaders now, and we're happy to welcome in uh, Senator Ralph Okerlund, a majority leader in the Senate. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be with you. And uh, Senator Gene Davis, majority leader in the Senate. Thank you. Good morning. Let me ask you first, uh, you probably saw the story in the Tribune, um, trying to parse the makeup of, of the uh, legislature this uh, go-around, and the... the they're theorizing that perhaps it's more moderate. Uh, certainly, they're more Republicans, um, and uh, I think a, a gain of some three for the Republicans in the in the Senate, uh, two in the House, or it might have that reversed. I wonder, uh, starting with uh, with you, Senator Okerlund, do you you see a more moderate makeup? Uh, yeah, actually, I do. I think we are uh, uh, legislator legislature legislature wide. I think we are going to be. Uh, a little bit more to the center. Uh, we have enough new people, enough new legislators, newly elected legislators. It's going to take uh, a term or two to kind of see what the makeup really is. But uh, when you look at the, some of the legislators that have uh, left us this last session, uh, certainly uh, some of the more conservative uh, legislators have left. So uh, you know, I would probably agree that we probably swung back to the middle a little bit. Mm. Senator Davis, I wonder, and, and some people are theorizing that uh, with, if we are more moderate with this legislature, we'll have uh, fewer so-called message bills. Well, I, I, I'll hope eternally on that one, uh, on the message bills. We'll see as uh, time proceeds. There's a number of issues that, that will bring uh, about those message bills. I, I, I think when we take a look at the land use issues in the state of Utah, gun control, uh, and these other issues that are they're bubbling there, the way those are addressed usually is, is through uh, message bills and uh, resolutions. So we'll see what happens on that one. I think overall we can uh, hopefully take a look at the legislature as being more moderate and taking a look at the future of the state. And uh, there's a lot of issues out there that we need to take a look at. I mean, the budget alone uh, is, is going to take... Uh, actually most of our time and wondering what's going to happen three months from now in Washington, D.C. is is also going to play into it with with Congress and how they take care of the budget. I think we have some uh, major concerns coming up. Education, of course, is always a concern in how we fund education. Mm-hmm. Senator Okerlund, uh, following up with what Senator Davis said, we heard this from the governor as well. Uh, I'm hearing some talk that we... The legislature may push the, the some of those budget decisions very late in the legislative session because of uncertainty about what Congress is going to do. Yeah, there's so much uncertainty. Uh, we we won't have our final revenue numbers until around the 20th of February, and so we'll begin uh, our budgetary process. Our our appropriations subcommittees will begin uh, make, taking requests and, and putting together their recommendations to the Senate. And, uh, we'll be looking at that very closely. And with the idea that we're probably going to have a little bit of a surplus this year, uh, depending on what happens with the federal government. And, uh, we know that we're going to have to spend a hundred million dollars on education just to fund growth. So we know that a big chunk of what our surplus might be, we are going to have to spend on growth and education. 
And then you start looking at uh, how to, to spend whatever uh, other dollars there are. And then, of course, uh, when the federal government does finally decide what they're going to do, if we do have sequestration and we have uh, some adjustments to make with our budget, we'd probably have to come back into special session and, and make those adjustments. Uh, so it's a very uncertain time. It's, uh, it's going to be difficult to... Uh, budget. I think probably what that will lead to in the legislature, especially in our body, will be that we'll be more cautious, be more likely to have uh, maybe hold some money in the rainy day fund and and not uh, not be as likely or as as quick to to spend the money. Uh, as you know, the state of Utah is very conservative anyway. Our body is very conservative, and and we're going to make sure that we're we're able to pay the bills and balance our budget just like the folks at home do. So uh, I'm hearing you correctly you to be very conservative because of what Congress may or may not do and then come back in special session and maybe spend more at that time? Well, probably more likely to, to just uh, just be cautious from the start. We'll probably go ahead and budget as if we know what our revenues are based on our February 20th numbers. And then if sequestration happens and we lose some federal dollars, then we may have to come back and adjust down. Mm. Uh, Senator Davis, what... Uh, First of all, do you agree, agree with that, the process that's being outlined, uh, being being cautious because of what Congress may or may not do? I believe it has to be. Uh, we, we need to take that cautious approach, but we also have to be cognizant of the fact that we've got to address the needs of the state of Utah. A downturn in the economy or Congress, we rely so heavily on federal dollars in the state of Utah. In fact, uh, nearly half of our uh, budget is federal dollars or dedicated credits. And so we need to watch those. But at the same time, we have to grow as a state. We're growing. If we want to keep perched where we are in the success of this state, then we need to reinvest in our uh, institutions of higher learning and also into our public school mm -hmm. system. Do you agree with the governor's numbers? He wants to uh, plow more into education, as uh, Senator Okerlund uh, said. Uh, just to fund growth that will, will require, you know, uh, quite a bit of money, or would you like to go beyond the number that the, the governor has set? I think we have to go beyond. Uh, when you take a look at where the governor is, uh, I think as the WPU is, is it probably needs to be increased a little bit more. I, th I think one of the things that we have in the budget right now with uh, education the one and a half percent that's being proposed really just is eaten up by retirement and uh, and uh, uh, health care. And so we never really get to moving forward where we really need to be in salaries and moving out of the bottom rung uh, as far as education spending in the state of Utah and start showing the world that we do have, uh, though we're a conservative state, that we do have our commitment to education and we're funding it at greater levels because we're worried about uh, what's going forward uh, into the future. Senator Okerlund, what's, what's the position of your caucus? Uh, right about the governor's number on education spending, we'd like to see less or more? Well, I, I think the, the governor's number is a good starting point, and uh, we take a look at uh, his recommendations. Uh, I think more important than looking at the dollars right now as we get into uh, the budgeting process is to see how to target. Uh, it's very important that we make sure that our children are very well-educated, that we have the great uh, well-educated and well-trained workforce that are ready to come out so that we can improve our economy. 
so that the folks who are coming to the state of Utah to do business have people that are trained and ready to go to work. And so we have to be careful that we're targeting uh, any of the effort that we're putting into education. If we're spending uh, dollars uh, to make sure that we have a better trained workforce, that's the important thing. And, and uh, so we may have to be a little bit smarter in the way we fund education uh, for the next few years. We may have to be very careful about targeting where we spend our dollars rather than just saying we need to spend uh, more dollars, uh, which, which we probably do at some point in time. But we need to be very careful and very smart about uh, how we do that. Finally, with the, we're getting ready to uh, move over to uh, House leaders, and then we'll end the program with, uh, with uh, members of the media. Uh, maybe starting with you, Senator Okerlund, on this question, um, the, the response to Obamacare. And uh, the Supreme Court did leave an opening as to, uh, for the states to decide uh, about uh, Medicaid expansion. Uh, what's, what's the sense of your caucus, whether or not they want to proceed on that? Well, as you know, we're moving forward with a, a proposal, at least, that we have a state, state exchange uh, program, and uh, we're hopeful that that's going to work out. Uh, there may come a point in time where we have to decide we have a partnership with the federal government to make that work. But uh, it, it's important that we move forward with the idea that we can do it better here in the state of Utah. I believe that we do everything better in the state of Utah than they do at the federal level. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about health care or uh, balancing a budget or, or running programs, whatever we, we can do, we do better here in the state of Utah. So I believe that's, that's the premise that we move forward with, that we can do it better here and we'll do a better job. Now, there may come a, a point in time uh, where the governor, uh, who will make this final decision, will say we may have to have some kind of a partnership. But uh, right now, we hope we can do it. And Senator Davis, what's the sense of your caucus in, in the Senate on, on Medicaid expansion, uh, just generally a response to Obamacare? On the Medicaid uh, expansion, I think we're uh, really, we would like to see that embraced by the state. There's, it's uh, really, the, the match on it is, is very affordable, I think, for the state. As we move forward in the exchange and we, we put together the, uh, and implement on a state level the Health Care Reform Act, uh, the Obamacare, if you will, that the one thing we have to make sure is that all citizens are treated equally in this. And those who are under uh, or the working poor are really the ones that deserve and, and need that health care coverage and benefit, and that's where the Medicaid comes in. Also, to use the exchange to get uh, individuals qualified for uh, the health care for, for the benefit of coverage, then we need to make sure that... Uh, we have everyone aboard and, and uh, everyone has the opportunity. Thank you very much. Uh, I know, uh, you know Senator uh, Okerlund and Senator uh, Davis are interested to get into the uh, chambers for the beginning of the legislative uh, session. Uh, it's opening day for the legislature 2013. We thank uh, Senator Ralph Okerlund, who is Senate Majority Leader. Thanks for coming in. Good to be with you. Thanks and uh, Senator Gene Davis, uh, Senate you. Minority Leader. Thank, thank you. Thank you. After a brief break, we're going to talk with House leaders. Support for this program on UPR is made possible in part by our listeners and the Utah Division of Securities. With every con, the red flags are there. Promises of easy or no-risk returns, limited opportunities or special insider information. Every day, Utahns are cheated out of their money because they didn't recognize the red flags. A cautious investor who knows the red flags can avoid becoming a victim. Learn more about the red flags of investing at the Utah Division of Securities. Check before you invest. This is the BBC. Kinshasa. São Paulo. Basra. Basra. 
Hong Kong, Georgetown, London. BBC covers the world Monday through Saturday afternoons at 3 here on Utah Public Radio. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and your local office of AARP Utah, a nonpartisan organization helping people 50 and over improve their lives through its advocacy for health care reform, social security, and consumer protection in Utah. Information is at aarp.org ut. Support also comes from the USU Credit Union, serving members with online bill payer, web teller services, and mobile banking for around-the-clock account access. Information is at usuccu.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're at the state capitol in the state treasurer's conference room, and we're coming to you live. It's become our tradition on the opening day of the legislature. This is opening day 2013, and we turn next to the House. We bring in Representative Brad D., House Majority Leader. Thanks for joining us again. Oh, thank you. And Representative Jennifer Selig, who is House Minority Leader. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you being with us. Um, I want to get a sense, first of all, uh, maybe starting with Representative D, what are the top budget priorities? Obviously, we have to look very closely at where we're at with education again and working with our education community, not only K through 12, but also higher education and some of the programs that create uh, degrees and things of that nature that businesses need in the state of Utah. So I would think that would be our one of our number one things. Uh, the second thing, I think I've talked about that a little bit of late, is the fact that we need to have budget numbers. It's tough to budget until you know exactly where you're at. And with with what's happening in Washington, D.C. right now, we're looking to uh, mid-February before we get some better numbers. And then with March 1st being the cliff for some other sequestration things, then we could be into the end of the session before we have those numbers that we know exactly where we're going. So that's going to be our, our major focus is what our budget numbers are right now. Representative Selig, maybe I could phrase it this way for you, um, looking at the numbers irrespective of Congress, and of course you, you, know, you can't do that, you can't be in a vacuum, but say things happen for the best with regard to Utah with, with Congress. We don't go over the cliff with, with a new sequestration. Um, what are some of the, the uh, is there some extra money that can be spent and where would uh, the Democrats like to spend that? Okay, and as, as far as Congress is concerned, and I appreciate your point about that we have to move forward and continue to do work despite of what other people are doing or not doing, that could be a $70 million difference for us that reaches down into communities and programs and services for people. So it is, to Representative D's point, um, a major, major issue and unsurety for us. As far as the Utah House Democrats are concerned, education, as always, it's traditionally been our focus, P through 16. We want to make sure that every child has equal opportunity to be the best that he or she can be, to be self-sustaining, to contribute to our communities and to our state. And that's from the first day of their school training through the first day of their career, whatever that means, either higher ed or applied technology centers or trades. That's our number one focus. We're also looking at health care public safety, economic development, those issues as well. Hmm. And um, healthy communities. So that means not only the air, but uh, health care as well. Hmm. Representative D, um, it seems like we're all thinking about guns, violence, in, in re response to Sandy Hook. 
And it seems like uh, some members of your caucus, the House Republicans, are um, at least bucking the administration, the, the Obama administration, here in Utah. Corinne's guns are very popular. Uh, and there are some uh, interesting proposals, and I wonder if they, they, you think they have any legs. For example, um, Representative Green from uh, Pleasant Grove is, is talking about uh, a proposal which would uh, enable sheriffs to arrest federal agents. Uh, if they try to seize uh, guns. The governor has called this a, you know, sort of an overreaction, the response to this. But these are some of the proposals percolating in, in your caucus. I wonder if you think that uh, it's going to go anywhere? Well, obviously we're going to have that discussion. I indicated earlier that I don't think the tragedy of Sandy Hook should drive our agenda on what we do with guns in the state of Utah. I think it's pretty easy to understand that our constituency, and I think many of these representatives are responding to the wishes and desires and the, and the fear of their own constituents. Uh, and that's why we should probably have that discussion at this particular time. It will be in the discussion and when the bills are fleshed out exactly what impact that may have on the federal government and some of the themes that the new gun laws that may or may not, uh, they're proposals right now. Mm -hmm. And until Congress acts on those proposals, and they have a lot of concerns with those too, uh, until we actually see something coming from Congress, then I think uh, then we're going to be having that discussion. Will the Supremacy Clause come into effect? It may. And, and we'll have that discussion at that particular time. Um, but I think it bodes well for us to at least understand the needs and wants of our constituents and at least be discussing it at this particular time. Mm. What are you hearing? You're, you're saying that the, the, many of these proposals are coming straight from constituents. Uh, are, are you hearing any of this from your constituents? Oh, yeah. Your, oh, yeah. Your constituents? It, it's, uh, I would say probably 60% of my contacts via email or Twitter or the other things that I'm getting are have to do with gun rights and uh with that because right. obviously you know there are many yeah but I think it's being driven a lot by constituents yes mm, okay uh, Representative Selig uh, same to you what, what are you hearing from your constituents on uh, are they wanting gun control gun rights would there or do they want any response from the legislature Actually, I think the proper frame or the most helpful frame to us at this point in our caucus is about gun safety and community safety so that's about responsibility certainly individual rights but also how we interface within a community. And we can argue about a lot of ways that we're going to get there, but I think that we can all agree that we want our children and families safe and the best way to do that. So that's what we're evaluating as well. And I understand, uh, Representative Lee, you have to get going. Yeah. And Representative Dee, probably very soon, I'll ask you just one more question here. Uh, that has to do with um, the, just your overall sense of the uh, legislature coming in. It's, it's more Republican. You had some pickups there. I imagine that's pleasing to you. But there's uh, some talk that this uh, legislature will be more moderate. I don't know if you agree with that. Well, I think that's yet to be seen. Um, Obviously, when we start off with some of the, the major topics that we just discussed, it's, it's, uh, I hope that we're, we're having an ability to discuss those themes and, and understand each other's feelings on those. Will it be more moderate? I don't know. We're going to have to find that out in our caucus. I think what it will be is more constituent-driven. Um, when you have the major part of your caucus, I'm talking almost half 
of your Republican caucus at this particular time is either a freshman or served just a term. And when you get in those type of situations, you're going to find that uh, a lot of things are more constituent-driven because they're, they're listening right now, and they really want to understand what their constituents want mm-hmm. at this particular time. What, uh, final question, what, what would you hope as as majority leader, as, as a, a leader of your your caucus, uh, to to get some things done, would it, it will it be if it turns out to be more moderate, will you get more more done? Well, I don't know if we'll get more done, but I can tell you we'll get things done, mm. and we'll get uh, we'll respond to the wishes of those people that put us here. And I think number one is that we'll continue to do what we've done in the past. We'll balance the budget. And hopefully, we can do that. and hopefully we can do that without major tax increases. Obviously, there will be some on the table that we'll be discussing, maybe some tax shifts. Maybe you know, those are all open for discussion. But I think what we will do is we'll balance a budget, and by the end of the session, regardless of what Congress does, we will balance a budget and leave this, leave this session. Um, we'll do some other things that I think are pretty important with education and economic development and transportation. And those particular themes will be fleshed out as we move through the session. But I think you'll see a very positive session that will move forward. This new group coming in, i got to tell you, I've met with all of them. They are brilliant. This is going to be an exciting session mm-hmm. to be in. Finally, the, uh, there is some talk that uh, with the uncertainty from Congress, and, uh, of course, that skews the budget numbers for the legislature, the, you might have to come back in special session. Do you think that's likely? Well, I don't know. Uh, we'll see what those numbers do to us. But... Uh, I would like not to come back into special session, but there's always that possibility. If the numbers come out so late and that we are dealing with our, our subcommittees have already held their meetings and, and it comes to a point in the last couple of weeks where it comes to executive appropriation, and as we, those members of that committee, work with those numbers, if it gets to the last day of the session and we can't pin those numbers because of Washington's failure to do something, uh, very easily we could be called back into special session to finalize some of those numbers. So. Representative Brad D. taking time out just before the session opens. Thank you so much, Thank Majority you. Leader in the, in the House. We've also been talking with Jennifer Selig, who is Minority Leader in the House. Uh, thank you to those uh, legislative leaders. We'll ha- take a final break, and we'll come back to the Capitol uh, building on the first day of the legislative session, talk with uh, some reporters who will be reporting on this legislative session. Stay tuned. On From the Top, we don't just put young people on the show to hear their incredible musical performances. We celebrate the whole kid. We're all members of the Vermont Astronomical Society, and uh, we've also gotten really into building telescopes. I run cross-country, and I run track. Well, I'll eat anything as long as it's not looking at me and as long as it's not moving around. I believe the correct term is math stud. Join me, Christopher O'Reilly, to meet America's most outstanding young musicians on From the Top each week from NPR. Friday afternoons at 2, repeated Sunday nights at 9 on Utah Public Radio. On the next edition of the Putumayo World Music Hour. It's music from parts of the world where French is spoken. North Africa, the Caribbean, Canada, and Brittany. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howard. Join us for Le Monde Francais, the French world, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. 
Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and your local office of AARP Utah, a nonpartisan organization helping people 50 and over improve their lives through its advocacy for health care reform, Social Security, and consumer protection in Utah. Information is at aarp.org ut. Support also comes from the USU Credit Union, serving members with 24 local ATMs and more than 30,000 ATM access points across Utah and the U.S. through the Credit Union Co-op Network. Information is at usuccu.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are on Capitol Hill today, the first day of the uh, 2013 legislative session. And we are just steps away from the chambers where the Senate and the House will be uh, gaveling in about 10 minutes from now. We're going to preview this session with uh, reporter Jessica Gale from KCPW. And you hear her reports uh, many days on uh, Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us, Jessica. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely an uh, exciting day today and uh, glad to be here. Thanks. And we bring in as well Jesse Petchman. Am I pr- pronouncing that correctly? Mm-hmm. And uh, Sean Fernandez. And they're with the uh, State of Utah Automated Geographic Reference Center, AGRC. We'll ask you what that is after we get a little preview from uh, from Jessica Gale. Uh, Jessica Gale, what are the what are the big bills, the interesting bills that uh, you're already seeing uh, coming up that you're going to be covering? You know, I think uh, on a lot of people's mind is uh, liquor. You know, um, and it's interesting. There are a couple bills. Uh, one is to really condense um, licenses within hotels. That was something. That that I previewed a couple of weeks ago. And right now, um, big hotels like the Grand America, like uh, Little America, places like that, have licenses, uh, several licenses, five, six, seven, um, that that they have. And uh, Senator John Valentine is running a bill that would make it so those places have just one license. And so that would free up a lot of the state's liquor licenses. He's running um, that bill. Um, again, um, so that's on everybody's uh, mind. That's a big bill. Um, as well as uh, just education. Um, that's, again, um, a- another big bill. Uh, 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 Representative Byrd is running a bill that would take 10% of the state's uh, DABC revenue and give it to public education. So a lot of people uh, might think that's that's a great idea. It would give more money to to the state's education system. But I asked um, uh, Senator Niederhauser, Senate, uh, President Niederhauser, uh, what he thought about that, and he said, you know, it might look good on paper, but that DABC money um, is already budgeted for for other things, and so um, you know we might have have problems with that later on. Uh, so uh, you know, again, um, it might not might not go through uh, later on. Um, so those are a couple of things that we're looking at right now. Hmm. And uh, I'm sure other things will be popping up. I wanted to uh, follow up on the liquor bill. Of course, we've we've had some liquor reform in the past several sessions. Uh, big one when Governor Huntsman was in, and I'm I'm sure you've talked to people on both sides. Uh, some are saying we've gone far enough on, on liquor reform; we have to emphasize safety. On the other side, uh, people are saying we 
we, we still look weird to the world. It's hurting <laughs> tourism. I'm guessing you're seeing both of those points of view. Yes. And, and actually, when I talked to, to uh, Senator Valentine about it, he said that he had gotten a lot of feedback from his colleagues saying that this bill um, looked looked good and and that he had introduced it during some um, interim days and that he was getting the thumbs up. So uh, even though this is the second most conservative legislative uh, uh, session, this is uh, filled with the most Republicans that we've seen uh, in history, really, um, it, it looks like this might get the green light. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and we'll we'll be hearing your reports as we yes, go along. Yes, absolutely. You. Thank you so much. Uh, always interesting to be on the Hill, I'm sure. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Let me turn uh, to uh, Jesse uh, Petchman and uh, Sean Fernandez, State of Utah Automated Geographic Reference Center. First of all, I want of you to explain what that is. So the uh, we, we go by the AGRC, and what it is is the mapping warehouse for the State of Utah. Um, we're located on the fifth floor of the state office building, and we work uh, together with local government to bring together all of the mapping resources to put it into one location so that everybody can use the same resources. And we call it the State Geographic Information Database, the SGID. And uh, we have several layers of data that we offer out to the public and allow them to use that data to make educated decisions on econo economic development and that kind of thing. It's nice that we're able to work as a group um, so that we're all using the same data and not reusing government resources to rebuild databases over and over, um, that we're all working on the same data. So today we're on the Hill to bring um, all the people that use that data to build maps to show off, more or less do a show and tell of what kind of mapping they're able to accomplish with the data we have up here. Mm -hmm. This is directed to, I guess, anybody can, can, can use this. What, what, what types of uses do people put it to? The data. The data, yes. We have maps from a wide variety. There's local government and you know counties and cities, and we also have private sector and um, wide variety of maps. There's we we have a statewide roads data set, and I think that's the mo the most widely used. We also have other things. So we, we've also helped with the precincting map this year. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, we, we spent a lot of time with the legislature identifying the precinct boundaries. And by using um, boundary data from all the local governments combined with state data, we were able to get a very precise location on where these boundaries exist. And uh, the results were that we, we actually had a very accurate data set to provide to legislator, legislators to make decisions that were mm -hmm. needed at the time. So this would have been used, I imagine, in redistricting decisions? Definitely. I think I saw a bunch of maps up there with that kind of will come through your office. It is, where we're able to bring not only um, map data uh, as you traditionally see it, but what's underneath the map data. The houses, who lives at the houses, what, you know, how many people live in that home. We can start making some educated um, um, decisions on, on how this data can be used to make these type of decisions. And not only for precincting, but all different um, decisions where, where local governments needed to make mm -hmm. those decisions for economic development. And again, anybody can get access to this. How, how best to how best Our to pull this up? Our website is gis.utah.gov, and that's the best way. Okay, um, I wonder, um, you know, this can be, and you probably can't respond to this in a very direct way, but as you know, redistricting is a heavily political process. I wonder what, uh, and you just do the straight data, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. 
but it could be used in any any way, shape, or form, and and uh, redistricting it gets used in a very political way. Um, I, I don't know exactly what you can say about that since you work for the state of Utah, but uh, I guess you want to just provide the best data possible. Yeah, we try not to get too involved in the political process. Uh, we've, we've been given a job to do and identify locations on the ground and how they relate uh, to the, the boundaries, and that's as far as we take it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we let the uh, lawmakers make those decisions. I wonder about the, it's interesting to, to look at the technology behind this, the really cool technology and what, and what can be done. I've been reading a bit about, about the Obama and Romney campaigns in this past election mm-hmm. season, the way you can focus in a single house. You don't have to go to a neighborhood anymore. You can focus a single house to target your, your ad or whatever it is because of uh, the data that's available. Yeah, the technology is really amazing. In fact, um, the AGRC, we take it a step further where we've actually got a statewide GPS network that we run, and this allows us to get precision of one centimeter out in the field. And this, again, is provided to the public. And if you have the right GPS equipment, you can actually use it to to get this kind of accuracy in the field. We're now um, using it for land surveying and engineering and mapping, but also taking it a step further and getting it involved in agriculture. We have tractors right now that are being run by this system and being able to to utilize the system to to save money on fuel and um, fertilizer costs and those kind of things. So it's not just the mapping part, but bringing high accuracy and technology out to the public. Hmm. Very interesting. Again, tell us the, the website. Where do we go? GIS.Utah.gov. Very good. We've been talking with uh, Jesse Petchman and uh, Sean Fernandez from the AGRC. Thank you. Thank you. Very much. And final question to Jessica Gale from KCBW. Uh, well, it, it, there's a lot of pageantry, a lot of uh, interesting. It's, it's kind of a civic celebration first day of the legislature. It is. It's kind of a big uh, first day. Welcome back for everybody. So it's exciting. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll start in just a couple of minutes. So. Yeah. What will you be doing? You you go to the go to the chambers. What do you what do you do? And then you. Start I do. I go to. Um, we've got one reporter uh, covering the Senate, and um, I'll be in the House. So. We'll look forward to your reports on UPR. Thanks. Yes. Thanks absolutely. very much. Uh, it's our annual uh, broadcast from the uh, Utah Capitol, and uh, moments from now, the uh, 2013 legislative session kicks off just a few footsteps and uh, up the stairs from where we're sitting right now in the uh, State Treasurer's Conference Room. Uh, our thanks to everyone involved in the, the broadcast today on Access Utah, and for uh, producer Shalane Smith-Needham, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening.